Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. As we continue through Ezra's deeply penitential prayer of confession, after his moment of just humiliation, feeling the full weight of their corporate sin, and as he acknowledges just the grace of God to give them a remnant and the opportunity to have a stake in the, in the holy place of God, rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem, then reestablishing fellowship around the word, it brings us to the question, why are we doing this? Why build a church here? Because if the answer to that question is so that I have a place where I can go and worship, we're missing the point here. We're New Testament believers. We've been called with the Great Commission to make disciples. And so as we do in the moment of humiliation, as we confess the full weight of our sin, how it's over our heads and our guilt stretches to the heavens, both the, you know, the, the Christians of the, of the Pacific Northwest and, our, and ourselves included in that. And then we turn our eyes to the lost people who are around us. If we're not burdened for the lost, then we are also missing out on the purpose of this New Testament church. It's not just, we're not making a country club for ourselves. We are answering the Great Commission. We are making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's also for the lost who are around us. Let's not look to the lostness that is around us with arrogance, with condescension. Rather, let's see a reflection of our own sin natures in our friends who just haven't heard the gospel yet. That's why we are building a church. Here's Ezra chapter 9. His prayer continues. Now, our God, what can we say in light of this? So at this point in the prayer, if you haven't been with us for a couple of devotions, he confesses sin and he acknowledges the grace that God has poured out. He's even given light to their eyes and hope, sustaining them amidst slavery and all sorts of oppression. So our God, again, he's speaking corporately and he's also speaking possessively in the familial sense. He's our God. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father. It's a big deal when the Son of God tells you to talk to his Father and call him our Father, our God, what can we say in light of this? Indeed, what can you say in light of such incredible grace? You certainly can't say, thanks, it's about time. You can't say, well, yeah, that'll do. Like, what can you say? It's this overwhelming avalanche of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And you haven't done anything to deserve it. In fact, what you've done corporately is... The opposite, what you deserve is hell for what you've done, but instead what you've received, this incredible grace, what can you possibly say? For we have abandoned the commands you gave through your servants, the prophets, saying, the land you are entering to possess is an impure land. The surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanliness by their impurity and detestable practices." You probably never imagined the Bible would talk about what we now call the Holy Land that way. It's called initially, actually, an impure land that has been filled, according to verse 11, from end to end with uncleanliness, impurity, detestable practices. When I was on... Um, I guess it was a mission trip. I was really ministering to missionaries. 
they brought me in to speak to this this uh, this group of missionaries, and I told them before I, they booked me, I was like, look, I'm going to be the least knowledgeable person there. I've been on mission trips, and I've you know I've been on long term missions, and I've been to several countries, but there's no way I could sit across from a missionary and be like, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. Let me show you how to be a missionary, because I don't know how to be a missionary. Uh, I was like, the one thing I can do is I can bring my Bible. And they're like, that's exactly what we need. And so I was working on a, a, a curriculum line for Lifeway at the same time. And I was speaking at this conference. And so we would have our sessions and their devotions and our worship time. And then they would go on break and, and you know, we would all kind of have time to roam around this place in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And it was a beautiful place with gardens everywhere. It was incredible. It was just really exquisite. We got to see a little bit of Chiang Mai and have the touristy experience. I ate a cricket. It didn't taste good. But while I would work on my Lifeway stuff, I would sit at a coffee shop. Um, that was not far from where we were meeting. And I would see people walk past the altars that mark all these corners everywhere. And they would leave an offering there. And it would be like they deliberately wouldn't finish their drink. They would leave it on the altar. And this is to appease this territorial spirit. And that altar is there to help bring them good luck and good fortune. And, and it's sort of like to protect them from the wrath of this territorial spirit whose altar they passed without making an offering. Like those are some pretty mean and greedy little gods. And it's everywhere. And you could feel it. It wasn't just the fact that while we were there, we had the worst air quality in the world. Google was like warning me when it realized where I was. <laughs> like, don't go outside. Um, it looked like the sunset and the sunrise took like four hours because it was just so cloudy and so smoky. And um, it wasn't just that. There was something else in the air. You could just kind of tell there's this spiritual oppression. And I find a similar spiritual oppression here in Seattle. It just feels like the air is thick with oppression. And uh, I do feel like my home is a bit of an oasis from that. Uh, thank you, God. Uh, and I don't, I, I know that I sound, I know that I sound like a hippie Christian here, but I'm telling you, I, I'm not the only one. All right. I, I know some of you have experienced the same thing. There's just something in the air here. I don't want to hear anybody say that God is done with Seattle because of all the sin here. When that is what he said about nothing short of Jerusalem itself in the Bible. Like you think that pervasive sin in a city is enough to make it beyond the reach of God to save? That's He chose Jerusalem. He chose this area saying the land you are entering to possess is an impure land. God called it impure. Because the surrounding peoples have filled it from end to end with their uncleanliness by their impurity and detestable practices. Because of the rampant sin of the culture, God knew that it was an impure land. And guess what he said about it? That's where I'm going to live. How can we have any authority to say God's not going to do anything here? We don't have the authority to speak that way. And we can't look at the sinfulness of Seattle and say that this rules it out for revival when the Holy Land, as we call it today, began this way. 
Here's, uh, here's Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. We are no better off in our flesh than any of our neighbors. They are exactly what we would be were it not for the intervention of the Holy Spirit of God. We are no better than anyone, but God is holy and all of us have struggled with sin. The only difference between you and your Seattle skeptical friend who is living a life of total flagrant disobedience to God in every way possible is the Holy Spirit called on your heart. And he hasn't called on your friend or perhaps he hasn't called on your friend yet. You don't have the authority to tell God what he can't do. There is no land that is beyond the atoning, redemptive capacity of the blood of Jesus. Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. This is humbling right here. We ought not think of ourselves more highly than we should. In humility, we consider others better than ourselves. We put the needs of others first. This is why we're building a church. So whether you're in Chiang Mai, Thailand, that is littered with pagan altars everywhere and is 1% Christian, or you live in Seattle, or you are Ezra and you live near, uh, and you're, you're being called to Jerusalem that was known for all of its impurity in, in any sense, God is able, the blood of Christ is limitless in its capacity to redeem so let us not look to our neighbors with contempt because of sin when we've got sin of our own. Rather, be grateful for the redeeming grace of God that's upon your life. And let's build a church that brings those same people in. We've been given the Great Commission to make disciples. And I know for a fact you've been called to make disciples of the people around you because you are here right now. This is where you're called to minister. So this is why we're building a church. It's not just a place for us to worship. It is a place to house the fulfillment of the Great Commission and hopefully revival right here in Seattle.